continue in our study of Acts this morning. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in it, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and their rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. You can be seated, and kids, you're in here today. Thank you, Justin. So this week um, is part three, actually, of where we've been in the last few weeks. Uh, Part one was when Peter um, healed the lame man in Jesus' name, and then he preached his sermon in Solomon's portico. And the man had been lame since birth, so everybody knew that it was a miracle. And Peter and John healed him in Jesus' name. Last week, we did part two, which is when the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, brought Peter and John before them, um, and they knew what had happened. They knew that this guy had been healed. They knew it was a miracle, uh, so they couldn't punish him, but um, they wanted to make it, um, they wanted to stop this. They wanted to stop this movement. They wanted to stop what Peter and John uh, were doing, and so they they basically threatened them uh, not to tell anyone about Jesus. So today is part three, kind of wraps up that trilogy, and it's going to talk about the boldness of the early church. So um, boldness, let's talk about boldness for a little bit. There are different types of boldness. I think one type of boldness is um, where there's not really any consideration um, of what the consequences are from what you say, and that might be intentional or it might be unintentional. Um, For example, um, little kids are brutally honest. I think bold and boldness would be a way to describe them sometime. Um, And they're just saying what they think. So they're not thinking about the consequences of what they say, but sometimes they say stuff and you want to go, shh, be quiet. Don't say that out loud. 
Um, so that's a type of kind of unintentional boldness. Um, but there are some people that, that don't care, um, um, are not even really thinking about what somebody else thinks about what they say, and they just expect people to just deal with it. Um, so let's, we've talked about little kids, let's go to the other end of the spectrum. Um, older folks, and I'll let you define what older folks means, um, but there seems to be sometimes some folks get to a certain age where they just don't care anymore, and they're just going to say what they think, and you just need to deal with it. Um, but there's a second type of boldness or another type of boldness I wanted to talk about, um, and that is where you really you care very much about the repercussions of what you say. Um, and I mean that in a very positive way. Uh, it's the kind of boldness that you show towards people that you really care about. And you see them heading in a certain direction, and you want to make sure that you're encouraging them and getting them to focus on the right way, the correct way. Um, just to let you know, the last few months have been a little sad to me regarding Clemson, and I'm not, I'm not even talking about the football team. I'm actually talking about um, just some losses of people that I knew, some I knew well, and some I knew not, not quite as well. Um, first person that I've mentioned before was uh, my favorite professor. Uh, professor McCormick passed away this past summer. Uh, he was 93 years old. Uh, we called him Happy Jack. Uh, that was a term of endearment. Uh, everybody loved him. He's a great professor, a great person. Um, and he passed away er- early this year. Another, uh, and I had a pretty close relationship with Professor McCormick. Another person that passed away just a few weeks ago that was a Clemson connection was more of an acquaintance to me. We were friends, but only friends really by the fact that we lived two dorm rooms apart from each other. Um, but some of you may actually know this guy. Um, his name, he passed away two weeks ago. His name was James Michael Tyler. And we just called him Mike. But um, some of you may know him as Gunther uh, on the TV show Friends, the guy that worked at the coffee shop. Uh, if any of y'all have seen that show, um, Gunther uh, is a Clemson grad and really, really nice guy. I didn't even know it was him until a friend of mine said, hey, you know, Mike is on Friends, and his hair was not, like, glowing yellow whenever he was at Clemson. Um, And then the third person that passed away um, that's kind of been heavy on my heart, he just passed away Thursday. And I've never met this guy. But I appreciate him and some of the things that he would share, and he would share in boldness, but for the right reasons, because he really cared about people. This guy, um, I'm sure that every college uh, fandom has like a website that they go to where they talk about whatever. I'm sure Carolina has one. Uh, Clemson has one, probably has a few. They probably all have a few. But Clemson has one called TigerNet, and it's been around for 20 years, and it's just people, and they get on there and just talk about all kinds of stuff. Well, there's a person whose tag name or whatever, like I'm of a certain age where all I know is a handle from when CD radios, CB radios were a thing. So I don't know what you call, what your name is. Is it a handle? Is that close enough? Yeah, it's close enough. So his handle was Joe21. And I would read his post and read them for a few years. But then I started, he, he would post these things that were just about life a long time ago. And... Then I realized he wasn't 
he wasn't telling stories about somebody else. He was telling stories about himself and sharing about his life. And Joe 21, I found out, the 21 was the year he was born, 1921. So he would, um, you know, he would uh, share stories about growing up in the Depression. Uh, he was in World War II and the Korean War, and then he would share stories about when he and his wife moved to Clemson in the 50s, and they both worked for the university, and they've been there ever since. And so he, uh, he would have turned 100 on Thanksgiving Day this year. And even though his body had gotten frail, his mind was just still sharp uh, as a tack. And um, he, he was also a believer. Uh, some folks I know know him personally and go to church with him. And so when he would share these stories, they weren't just stories, but what he was doing was boldly proclaiming the truth and trying to encourage people. He was like a modern-day Barnabas on TigerNet which, believe me, TigerNet needs some Barnabas-type folks from time to time, especially this year. Um, so I was, I, his wisdom and his boldness is going to be missed, but when I think about that, uh, I think about boldness in a positive way because Joe was an encourager. and He was trying to help folks understand what's important in life. And being 99 years old, he had a lot more experience than everybody in this room, and he understood what was important, and what was fleeting. And so I appreciated those posts uh, very, very much. So sometimes when we do think of boldness, we think of it in the negative light when somebody's being bold and rude. But in the New Testament, boldness was an attribute of virtue. And it's an attribute that marks the life of the church in every generation, including Today, So we as believers, we're still being called to be bold in the name of Christ today, just like this passage that Justin just read. And uh, it was interesting that just the timeliness of this, Paul David Tripp had a couple of tweets this week um, that related to the boldness of God. And they were just really timely. One of them was, he said, God's warning, no matter how severe, God's warnings, no matter how severe, are a product of his unstoppable love. And then his second one was, when you're being warned, you're not being condemned, you're being rescued, protected, and drawn near. So when we think about boldness, sometimes we can think of it in the negative light, but when we're boldly sharing the gospel and boldly sharing God's love for us and for the people that we're talking to, then that's what's going on. It's out of that love that God has for us that we are to share. So let's pick up right where the story left off last week, Peter and John have just been threatened. They've been released by the Jewish high council. And uh, in verse 23, it says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. So let's just, as a reminder uh, from last week in Acts verse 17 uh, says, but in order that they may spread no further among the peoples, this are the, these are the chief priests talking, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And then a little further down in 21, it said, And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. So Peter and John were threatened to never speak to anyone in Jesus' name ever again. 
Is that what Peter and John did? Absolutely not. So they go back to their friends, to fellow believers, and say in verse 24, and when they heard it, when they heard the report from Peter and John, they lifted their voices together to God and said, and they start with sovereign God. At least that's the ESV translation for that. Um, Some other uh, translations translate sovereign God as Lord, you are God. Um, it's important to really pay attention to those two words, sovereign Lord, because Peter and John had just been threatened by the highest Jewish authority in the land. But what the early church heard and what the disciples knew is the Lord had been proclaimed as the true high authority. So it did not matter what the Jewish council was saying because they weren't the ultimate authority. That ultimate authority is Jesus. So here's the prayer. Here's what they said after this report was given. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. So they're quoting Psalm 2 here. And what David was writing about was a summit meeting of the most powerful leaders in the world and their refusal to submit to God as the ultimate authority. That sounds like something that we just saw on the bottom ticker of a news channel, you know, because that's still happening today, isn't it? The same refusal to accept God as Lord. It's still happening today. What David was writing about there was this separation of state and their peoples from God with a vengeance. So I, I think it would be good and helpful to read all of Psalm 2. Um, so let me read that in its totality. So you can, they quote part of it, but this is the passage. This is the entire Psalm that they are thinking when they're saying these things. Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So what they're saying as they are praying these words from Psalm 2 is, look, we know scripture tells us what's going to happen if we turn away from God and deny him. Continuing on with the prayer, they say, for truly in this city. So they're bringing it from Psalm 2 and what happened in those events that David was writing about to their present day in first century. 
to that moment. And they say, for truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. So think about that. Who does that include? Everybody. <laughs> That's the short version. If you say the Gentiles and the people of Israel, so the people of Israel are God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, and the Gentiles are who? It's not hard. Everybody else. So that's the entire world they just listed. They named and called out Herod and Pontius Pilate, but they're talking about everybody. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So it says that to do whatever your hand and your plan has predestined to take place, there's no hesitation now. This is the same group. There are folks in this group that are hearing Peter and John who also had denied Jesus. These are the folks that were hidden in the room back at the beginning of Acts that were 120 strong but were afraid and didn't want it to be known. And here they are saying, there's no hesitation now. The church has seen the scripture fulfilled. They know that Jesus is the Messiah. They know that God is sovereign and they know that God's will will be done. And so it doesn't matter that Peter and John and by extension they have been warned and threatened by the Jewish High Council not to speak in Jesus' name because they know, according to Scripture, what happens when you deny the Lord. And so they're, they're calling that. They're claiming that there. Verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So the early church here, they're asking for boldness, but they're not just asking for boldness to proclaim the gospel. They're asking for boldness because they know that proclaiming the gospel is going to come at a high cost. In the next few weeks and months, as we work our way through Acts, we're going to see examples of this immediately. In Acts chapter 7, there's the stoning of Jesus, or the stoning of um, Stephen, as he told the whole story of the nation of Israel and their denying Jesus. In Acts 8, we see Saul, who later became Paul, but Saul at this point ravaging the church and arresting and throwing them in prison, all the believers. In Acts chapter 12, we see Herod murdering James, the brother of John. And in the rest of Scripture and church tradition tells us that 10 of the remaining 11 original disciples were martyred for their faith. Only John was not put to death. So when I think about that, this, this boldness is not just boldness to speak in Jesus' name, but boldness to carry through with what they know is coming. Because the world is against Jesus. And so if you are proclaiming him, then you're against the world. You're focused on the Lord and not what the world is focused on. And I thought about this, and I've shared this story, or at least in part before, and I think I actually, we had a picture up one time, but um, this boldness that they're asking for reminds me of something that, um, that I heard about first when I was over in England doing a study tour. Um, 
during my seminary time. And uh, this scene reminds me of the Gainsborough Church uh, as they met in 1606-1607. So the Gainesville Church were a group of folks um, that worshiped in secret in um, a place called the Gainsborough Old Hall. It's a really cool, uh, one of the oldest examples of a medieval manor house in Britain. It's still standing. It's a little sketchy looking. You know, the, the ceiling's kind of bowed a little bit, so you don't want to spend a whole lot of time in there. Um, but we went upstairs, and Henry VIII stayed there at one point. But, um, but the significance of us, of that place to believers, is uh, it's where the Church of Gainsborough met in secret because the Church of the day, the Church of England, was definitely not focused on Jesus. And they knew that they had to be obedient to what Jesus had called them to do. So they were meeting in this place, and it was owned by a guy. We don't know if he was a believer or not, but he was sympathetic to this group. His name was William Hickman, and so he allowed them to stay there, and he allowed them to worship there in secret. Um, the, the preacher there was a guy named John Smythe. Uh, he had a, a strong influence on uh, the folks that were on the Mayflower that, com that came over in order to have the freedom to worship as they chose. And he's generally considered, if, if you traced Baptist heritage back, uh, you can trace it in part back to this church and John Smythe in Gainsborough. And I thought this was interesting as I was studying this. Um, the way that this uh, person, the author that wrote this particular account that I was reading stated it said that John uh, Smythe had a large congregation of 60 or 70 people meeting secretly. And that got me excited because when, uh, when Will and I were doing the, the records after church last Sunday, we had 56 people here last Sunday, so we're only four away from a large church. Isn't that exciting? It's pretty exciting. But seriously, think about that. This church, which is part of what God used to grow the Baptist church of today, which includes Southern Baptist Convention, which we're a member of, but many, many other believers got its start. You can trace it back to 60 or 70 folks that had the courage to break from what they knew was wrong and disobedient to God and to meet in a group that we would consider small, but God didn't consider it small. And God took it, just like we have seen since chapter 1 of Acts, he's taken it from 120 to 3,000 to 5,000 to 10,000. God grows it, not us. So I was excited when I saw that. So this church in Gainsborough, and there's a long history, and I won't bore you with that, but if you get into church history, um, when you see what God has done through church history, it's just super exciting. Uh, so if you're not into that, uh, if you haven't been into that, I encourage you to, to look for some, uh, some books on church history and ask me and Justin. We've got some recommendations for you. But it's just cool to see what God has done with his church over the last 2,000 years. But here's what they did. The Gainsborough Covenant is what it's called. They used the Bible as their guide, and they wrote this down. And we actually met because uh, we were geeky theology students. We met in the same room and said the same covenant that they said. Um, and actually, we were there in 2006. So we were there 400 years after they said it. And they said, We covenant with God and with one another to walk in His ways 
made known to us or to be made known to us according to our best endeavors, whatsoever it will cost us, the Lord assisting us. And I'm sure it was 1606, so they probably had a lot of vows and thuses and that kind of stuff. But that's what they said. And they said, whatsoever it cost us, not we're going to covenant with God to be obedient to him until it gets hard. Or we're going to covenant with God and be obedient to him as long as there's a bunch of us. No, what they said is, we're going to covenant with God and be obedient to him, whatever the cost might be. And that covenant didn't come lightly. They knew it was going to be costly. It would cost them a lot of hardship. It would cost them a lot of heartache. It ultimately cost them their homes and their homeland. They had to leave England. And it cost some of them their lives because they chose to be obedient to God. So when we go back and tie it to what's going on in Acts here, what happened after the early church prayed that prayer after hearing the report from Peter and John? It says and tells us in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The use of that word shaken isn't symbolic. Like the Holy Spirit came with such power that it physically shook that place. Physically shook it. And likewise, as we'll see through the rest of Acts and through the rest of the New Testament, the gospel message would shake the world and it continues to shake the world to this day. So when we get to that part of today's scripture, that's kind of the end of the story that began with the lame man being healed. And now we're going to transition into the next story of Acts. So in verses 32 through 35, let me read that. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And listen to verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. This reflects on the continued fellowship of the believers. These verses are very similar to the ones that Brad covered just a few weeks ago in Acts chapter 2. They are focused not on themselves, but they're focused on the Lord, and they're focused on loving and caring for each other. The great power the apostles were given is the same power that we have as believers. The Holy Spirit was living within them, and it's God's grace, not through their power, but God's grace that was leading them. So, verse 36 and 37. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So, I wish my nickname was son of encouragement. Like, I love Barnabas. Uh, we're not supposed to have favorites, but if, if I laid out my favorites... Uh, of the Bible, but of the New Testament in particular. Obviously, Jesus is my favorite. I really like John the Baptist because he was just kind of a different kind of fella. 
Um, but Barnabas, he's, he's kind of a hero of mine because Barnabas was a son of encouragement. I mean, if you don't just get that nickname, like you got to, you got to be that before you get that name. And so we don't even call him Joseph. We call him Barnabas to this day. We really don't even know, you don't have a lot of insight into Barnabas's financial situation. He might have been a wealthy guy. He may have just been a guy that like inherited a piece of property. But we know that he had a piece of property and he's like, you know, I don't need this, but there are people that have needs in the body of believers. And so he sold it. Nobody told him to sell it, but he sold it and he brought it to the apostles, laid it at their feet and said, whatever this is, can be used for, for the glory of God, use it. We see this guy. We know from the rest of Acts and from some of Paul's letters that Paul loved the Lord, or Barnabas loved the Lord, and he boldly shared the gospel. And the motivation for what he did was the love that he had for Jesus and the love that he had for others. Now, next week, Justin is going to look at a couple who were very different from Barnabas. So I won't spoil it, but we'll cover that next week. So today we, we heard about the boldness of the early church. And throughout church history, followers of Jesus have boldly shared the gospel, uh, even though it cost some of them their freedom and it cost others their lives. There are a couple of books. There's Justin's, not that Justin, but another Justin's Book of Martyrs um, there that goes through church history and tells the martyrs. There is a relatively recent book called Jesus Freaks that was, it's got the same cover as an old DC Talk uh, album. Um, does anybody know who DC Talk is? Okay, there's like four. Okay, uh, so DC Talk. But they did a book of modern uh, martyrs, like from the 20th, it was printed at the end of the 20th century, but it tells stories of folks that lost their lives in the last 100 years in Joe's lifetime because they were obedient to the Lord. Um, the boldness that the early church prayed for, we need to continue to pray, pray for today because the world is still opposed to the Lord. But we as believers need to be bold in proclaiming, proclaiming Christ to the lost world we see today. Let's close with Jesus' words from Matthew. This is Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now we call those verses the Great Commission. We do not call it the Great Suggestion. That is a command. It was a command that Jesus gave to his people then, and it's a command that he gives to his people today. And let's take comfort from his closing words in that he said, he is with us always. And that should give us boldness as God's people. So as we think about this story and we think about going back to the lame man being healed and Peter, who had already denied Jesus three times just weeks before, became bold because he knew the truth. And when you know the truth, you can be bold and confident 
in that. We know that Jesus is the Son of God. We know that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And we know that Jesus didn't stay in that grave. We know that he rose, and we know that he will return. We also know that he is with us always. So at this time of our um, service, we remember that. We remember that sacrifice that Jesus made by taking part in communion, the Lord's Supper. So this morning, um, if you're a believer, then this is a time for you. Um, the bread reminds us of his body, the juice reminds us of his, of his blood. And so it's a time to reflect on that and remember that. But also, as you partake of that this morning, pray for boldness, that you won't just keep that great news to yourself, but you, you will share it with the lost around you. Now, if you're still trying to figure out what you think about this guy, Jesus, and you haven't accepted him as, as your Savior, then this is not a time um, for you to participate in that, but it is a time for you to really prayerfully consider that. And we would love to talk to you about that and what it means to be a believer and to follow Jesus. So let me close this in prayer. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the boldness of the early church that even though they heard the threats, even though they had already seen Jesus beaten and sacrificed on a cross, Father, they knew the truth. They knew that Jesus had defeated death, defeated the grave, and Father, that he loves us and he was a sacrifice for us so that we would not pay the price for our sin. And he took the sin on himself. And so, Father, I just pray that we as believers would remember that, that we would pray continually for boldness to share um, the gospel message with the lost world. Father, I pray these things in the name of Jesus.